What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Complete Center's Guide. If you have never heard of this show before, I'm glad to introduce myself as your host for this evening. I am Tyler Fowler, and with me as always, live in the studio in Grand Forest, North Dakota, my brother in the Lord, Noah Chalaya. How's it going, buddy? Hey, Tyler. Doing well. How about yourself? Dude, so good, so good. So check this out, brother. Three special guests have joined us for tonight's discussion on last things or end times, eschatology, as scholars call it. And so what we want to do is discuss the differences in their views concerning things like the thousand-year reign uh, of Christ and his kingdom, as we will see, or, and we'll see how they interpret different passages of Scripture tonight to make a case for their position. The three views we have are actually the three most popular views uh, of eschatology. First, we have a form of historic premillennialism that will be represented by Justin Simpton. Second is amillennialism, and the amill position will be represented by Robert Wiesner. And third, postmillennialism will be represented by Luke Huck. What we're not doing tonight is a formal debate. We have an hour to introduce the participants. And let me just be the first to say an hour is not enough. We have to have I really think we have to have a part two, uh, but we'll get back. I mean, uh, with let's these guys be fair. It's been 2000 years and we've been studying this and learning about it and debating it. Right. We, Yeah. Yeah. It's been 2000 years and we're continuing the discussion tonight. So this this is going to be fun. Uh, really, 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 really fun. So so to begin, let's have all three of you uh, beginning with Justin. We'll give a five to seven minute introduction or opening statement, you know, to describe you, your positions and why we should believe them, why we should hold uh, to these positions after Justin Robert will give a short intro to amillennialism and wrapping up uh, with Luke giving an opening for postmillennialism. After that, we'll jump straight into some uh, Q&A uh, from all the participants. And if time permits, we'll actually take some phone calls. If you want to call us, if you got a question for any of these uh, guys tonight, that number is one 450 6624 So if you have a question for, like I said, any of the guys uh, on any of the positions, that number one 855 450-6624. So I just, I, I got, we got to jump into this now. So I just want to, like I said, thank you all for listening to this. Thank you to all the participants uh, doing this tonight. I love you guys. Thank you so much for doing this. And so let's, let's start off. Let's uh, get rolling with Justin. Uh, if you want to go ahead and give your short uh, five to seven minute opening statement, uh, you can begin. Roger that. All right. Well, terrestrial we're going to hear that word probably not enough but terrestrial that's my favorite word in all my eschatology discussions and debates i bring it up i think it's uh central to this this debate when it comes to the millennium and then also when it comes to the second coming uh, just as Dr. Michael Heiser is known for restoring the supernatural world worldview of the Bible, on the other end, we have a very needed restoration of the terrestrial view of the millennium following the eschaton. Jesus' bodily terrestrial return is inseparable from the bodily and terrestrial resurrection of the saints, both Old and New Testament. In 2 Thessalonians 2, the resurrection we look forward to, that the church has been looking forward to, referred, referred to here as our gathering together to him, <clears throat> excuse me, is directly linked to the revealing, the activities, 
and the destruction of whom even much of the secular world call the Antichrist, specifically referred to in Second Thessalonians 2 as the man of sin, in some translations the man of lawlessness, uh, also goes on to call him the son of destruction. Um, the activities of this man are also further described in Revelation 13, and his, his destruction is further described toward the end of Revelation chapter 19. Chapter 19, being that, that it is widely accepted that this man's number is 666 and is the infamous character who brings forth, even though it's the false prophet who causes all, uh, brings forth the mark of the beast. Um, it stands to reason that since the resurrection in chapter 19, Revelation 19 is directly linked to the mark of the beast, his name, his image. This is the exact same resurrection mentioned in 1 Thessalonians 4 and in 2 Thessalonians 2. The first from Protos and Anastasis. Um, so we can't simply rationalize away from the real and most reasonable contextual associations in order to fit a view. If the mark of the beast is an isolated, single occurrence, there is no justification for the first resurrection being not physical, terrestrial, and into only the heavenly realm or heaven itself. There is also no justification for this. And I'm going to get into um, a little bit of uh, Robert's paper um, when he talks about a highly stylized po poetic form regarding the Isaiah passages, um, specifically his objection to Isaiah 6525. Um, Isaiah 6525 is not Zion or God's holy mountain. Isaiah 35.9, which Robert has in his paper, and 25.8, they are. This is, this is backed up with the ability for Gog and Magog to exist and finally rebel. Nations having the ability, this is one of the keys, to not go up year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to have some form of punishment for it. And this is after uh, God gathers all nations, it says, to, to battle against Jerusalem. This fits perfectly and much more coherently with the locality language of the New Jerusalem, which it says the kings will bring their glory into it. The beloved city, also known as the Camp of the Saints, being surrounded. Another point of that is I don't see how that could happen uh, in heaven. A localized Edenic location meant to be spread by God's, and here's another key, fully renewed imagers, because I contest that we have to be fully renewed imagers, uh, which includes the physical and terrestrial, for uh, the millennial reign to start for that phase of the kingdom of God coming. Um, we have abundant language of decorated gates that also must be entered into. Uh, like it or not, we have an earthly geographic location in comparison to the rest of the earth where heaven and earth meet, where God and man dwell together, a restored, and I have an all caps, continued. You got about a minute, Justin. All right, I'm wrapping it up. A restored, continued Edenic and Edenic mandate. Um, 
And then uh, regarding real, I'll try to make it quick. The uh, contesting some of the post mill, the foundation for that is 70 AD. So your interpretation of 70 AD is what determines it all connects and goes for your eschatological view in the millennium. But Romans 11 sets up a time frame, a partial hardening for the ethnic Jews who are associated with Jerusalem. It comes down to ethnic Jews because what category do you put the hardened who have been cut off from the olive tree until the fullness of the Gentiles have come in? These, the hardened and cut off ones who have the ability to be grafted back in, of whom are also said are still elect, did not suddenly cease to exist in 70 AD. That requires historical revisionism. Jesus himself tells these Jews uh, and calls them Jerusalem in Matthew uh, 23. Uh, he tells these Jews whom the Father shortly after Jesus says this cuts off from the olive tree. He tells them when they will see him again. And when they will see him again is when they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. These hardened ones in Jerusalem have neither seen Jesus nor have they blessed him. This certainly did not happen in 70 AD. It was quite the opposite. There was just much destruction, uh, which is exactly what is described in Zechariah when they actually do bless him and they see him. Uh, was there a judgment on them? Yes. Was their house left to them desolate? Yes. But that is far different from Jesus second coming all right brother thank you for that thank you for that uh robert if you want to go ahead and give your uh go ahead and take about seven eight minutes uh for your opening statement for amillennialism great thanks uh so just want to introduce myself uh, i'm the pastor of kimmore baptist church uh here in kimmore new york i like to fancy myself a uh pastor theologian um, and I just, I love to nerd out about this kind of stuff. Uh, it, it's amazing to me that there's a show that people will turn into on, on the radio to uh, listen to something like this, but, uh, it's awesome. It's a lot of fun. Um, now, uh, there was a lot said about my view there and I'm going to avoid the temptation of responding to that right now and, and give some more positive evidence for, for, for my view. So first of all, definitions are very, very important. Uh, I want to say, I hate the name all millennial because, it sounds like I'm denying that there is <clears throat> a, a real millennium and Revelation chapter 20, depending on what you do with a uh, textual variation, says that there's this thousand year period. Uh, it says it five or six times, again, depending on what you do with the textual variant there. So uh, anybody who denies that there is a millennium in any absolute sense is, is you know, denying what that, that text is, is telling us in some sense. So what are we denying? Well, the, the term amillennialism is a denial of the premillennial interpretation particularly, but also the, the postmillennial reading, which, which Luke will explain when it's uh, his turn. And so what we're saying is not that there is no millennium, there is a millennium, it's, it's depicted in Revelation 20, but that the premillennialist uh, readings of that millennium are mistaken. And so um, what I hold to is what I prefer to call a celestial millennium. Uh, you heard Justin mentioned several times that the millennium is terrestrial. Uh, we agree, I think all three of us agree that Jesus' return is terrestrial and that the resurrection is terrestrial. Where we're debating is whether or not the millennium is terrestrial. I say it is celestial, meaning it is located in heaven. Uh, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 21, uh, Jesus promised the church there that those who conquer, and, and throughout Revelation, conquering is living a cruciform life um, until death, meaning following in, in Jesus' pattern of death and exaltation uh, in, in faithfulness rather than to compromise. He says, those who conquer in this way 
uh, will be allowed to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Which throne did Jesus sit down on? Uh, We know Jesus has already, this is past tense, this is a throne he's already sat on. He sat down on God's throne in heaven, right? Uh, So that's the promise throughout the book of Revelation that um, uh, there is going to be a resurrection. There is going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And there is going to be a terrestrial earthly kingdom. Uh, But prior to that terrestrial earthly kingdom, which is identified in Revelation uh, 21 and 22 as the new heavens and the new earth, uh, Christians who die in faithfulness to the Lord, they're, they're promised that they're not left in soul sleep. Uh, they're not left disadvantaged and, and abandoned until the resurrection. They are allowed to live and reign with Christ in glory in heaven. So uh, what, 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 what's going on here, there, there are a number of times throughout the book of Revelation, I should make note of this, that Revelation is a type of literature that scholars have come to call an apocalypse. Uh, its, its first three words are apocalypsis Jesu Christu, the, the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. Um, and in apocalyptic literature, a visionary is given a tour of the heavenly realms by uh, a guide. It could be an angel, some sort of uh, uh, divine heavenly being. And that's exactly what we have in the book of Revelation. So the, the idea that the millennium would be a depiction of something going on in heaven is right at home with what we get across all apocalyptic literature. And in fact, we see uh, deceased saints, deceased believers uh, reigning and, and worshiping in heaven throughout the book of Revelation. So you see that depicted in uh, Revelation 4 and 5, where, where all of uh, creation is, is standing before the throne, uh, praising Christ uh, for his worthiness and worshiping him along with God the Father. Uh, you, you see this, this depiction of, of these souls who are under the altar, and you see this depiction of the 144 a thousand virgins who who um, came out of the great tribulation, um, all, all this imagery of God's people reigning with Christ in heaven. So uh, what that means then is when uh, John depicts this first resurrection in Revelation chapter 20, um, it is a resurrection of a different kind from the resurrection, uh, the bodily resurrection that uh, Justin uh, made a point about. I believe in a future bodily resurrection. There's no denying that. You've got that uh, so strongly and explicitly in 1 Corinthians 15, which uh, we'll get to in uh, opportunity for rebuttal, I, I want to say is a really, really big problem for a premillennial reading. Uh, but there uh, in, in um, Revelation 20, there, there are a number of lines of evidence that, that I would point to. But one of the key ones is uh, noting how uh, there's not just a first resurrection in Revelation 20, there's also a second death. And there's a contrast between old and new, first and second, uh, that plays out throughout biblical eschatology in, in general, but, but also particularly in Revelation, uh, where we're told that those who partake of the first resurrection are exempted from the second death. And the first death and the second death uh, are two deaths of a different kind. Everybody suffers the first death, unless you know we're 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 we haven't died when uh, Jesus returns. Uh, but the second death is reserved uh, only for those whose names, according to the judgment scene at the end of Revelation 20, whose names are not found written in the Lamb's book of life, right? Uh, and and so they're cast into the lake of fire, that which is the second death. Um, but it's a death of a different kind. I, I don't know what my my uh, new friends here who who hold the other views uh, think about eternal judgment, but I, I do hold to eternal conscious punishment or eternal conscious torment. 
And so I think that that is a, a death of a different kind than, than biological death. And likewise, John has two resurrections, but they're two resurrections of a different kind. So the first resurrection is for those who have died bodily, they live again and reign in heaven. And that's the language that you have there. They lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Okay, so and, and you, you have to ask the question, why does he use resurrection language? And the answer is, what other language could he use? He's talking about people who have died and are alive. Right. So they died and now they live again and reign with Christ uh, in heaven. So the, the idea that he uses uh, coming to life language or the first resurrection, that is not problematic uh, whatsoever for, for the view that I'm holding it. Um, again, we're, we're, we're doing a, using apocalyptic literature. So there's, there's a, a, some elasticity to some of the language, but either way, without that, you still have the fact got that about a minute, people Robert. who are alive again. Oh, just a minute. Goodness gracious. Um, and with that, I want to say that uh, my, my view allows Revelation 20 to be consistent with the universal testimony of the rest of Scripture. There is only one resurrection everywhere else in any passage of the Bible that talks about resurrection. Daniel 12, uh, 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 Matthew 25, uh, Roman, excuse me, um, uh, yeah, Romans 8, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, um, uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, John chapter 5, there's one resurrection with two fates, uh, eternal life or eternal destruction. And, and uh, so Revelation 20 can be read in that way if we take a celestial millennial reading. There's so much more I want to say, but I don't want to be rude and overstep my time. So we'll turn it over to our post-millennialist friend. I appreciate that, buddy. I really do. All right, Luke. So give us what is your introduction to post-millennialism, my friend? So uh, I'm glad to be here. I'm uh, First of all, I'm a husband of a uh, wife now for, oh, goodness, have I forgotten? No, just kidding. Um, nine years, and uh, we have four kids, and I attend uh, Southside Baptist Church here in Springfield, Missouri, just to let you all know. And so if you got any problems with me, you can call my pastor. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I have the benefit of going third here to, uh, tonight, and uh, I appreciate much of what Robert has just said because uh, he's thought a lot longer and a lot harder about these things than I ever have. Um, and so I appreciate all of that. I appreciate uh, what Justin has said so far, and I find myself, I mean, I know we all sort of stand in between the other two uh, on certain issues, uh, for instance, when we were talking beforehand about uh, how we differ on the events of Revelation 19 and 20, um, we, we disagree on some, and we'll disagree with the other two, and then we'll agree with the other two on some. I find myself standing in between these two on a lot of things. I agree a lot uh, with what Robert has said regarding the, um, the, the nature of the millennium as Christ seated and reigning in heaven with his risen, uh, with his saints there who have gone to be with him. I also agree a great deal with the earthiness of the, the terrestrialness of the uh, millennium with Justin and the premillennial view. Uh, Justin and I disagree mostly on the placement of the, um, of the f coming of Christ with reference to when the millennium takes place. Uh, not much about what the effect of the millennium is. So let me just dive, dive real quick into uh, post-millennialism for those of you who don't know. It's probably the least common uh, understanding amongst people today, uh, but it's not that way historically. Now, post-millennialism post is 
is simply the idea. It, it gets its uh, name from the millennium, but it has, uh, in, well, in my view, very little to do. Uh, what I believe about the end times has very little to do with uh, the events in Revelation uh, 20 as they as they describe the millennium, my, my, my belief is, well, post-millennial, post-millennialism is, is essentially the belief that the gospel wins in history, that uh, the kingdom of Christ, uh, Jesus came bringing a kingdom in his incarnation, and that uh, he conquered and bound Satan in his crucifixion, and that he sent out his disciples to uh, make disciples of the nations. Uh, postmillennialism is the belief that the church will be successful in the accomplishment of the Great Commission, and that uh, there there is a period of gospel peace and prosperity before us, uh, before the final coming of Jesus, as I refer to it, um, and uh, that Jesus will indeed accomplish what he came to do, that is to be the savior of the world. I'm not a universalist. I'm a staunch Calvinist, uh, black coffee uh, drinking, not literally, but I'm a staunch Calvinist. Uh, but I believe that through the efficacious grace of the, uh, of the spirit and through the definite atonement of Christ, that Jesus Christ will indeed be the savior of the world. Um, I love the way that uh, Spurgeon put it, although he's not a post-millennialist, but uh, he is now, right? Um, he, he put it one, day, one time that uh, he, he doesn't see how there can be more in the dominion of Satan uh, in that he's referring to hell, whether or not you believe Jesus, or Satan is the king of hell, I don't. But uh, he, he does not see how there can be more in the dominion of Satan than there can in the dominion of Christ. If he is said to be over all things, if he the head over all things, uh, then he will have dominion from sea to sea, from the river to the end of the earth. He will be, he will be head over all. Uh, I believe in the triumph of the cross over the world, and that it's through the preaching of the gospel by uh, the disciples of Christ on the earth that we have this gospel peace that comes upon the world, and that the world is being renewed. Uh, that what Christ says in Revelation 21 is that, behold, I am making all things new, that he is doing so in his uh, millennial kingdom, which he is reigning and ruling from heaven, but it has impact and effect on earth. Uh, th- that the the prayer that Jesus taught the disciples to pray will in fact be fulfilled, that his kingdom will come, his his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So the directionality of the Bible is heaven to earth. Uh, and I, I believe we all agree on this is the, the final goal of the gospel is not getting people to heaven one day, but it's getting heaven to earth. It's accomplishing. It's doing the will of God in your life today, doing the little things uh, and expanding the kingdom of God today so that the future generations will benefit from the fruit of that. Now, I've said, so I've said that about the character of the kingdom. The kingdom is what it, when it says that the kingdom of God is less a place and more of an idea, uh, the kingdom of God is the, is what it's like when God's in charge. It's the reign of God 
kingdom is not a place it's a thing it's it's a reign it's when it's what it means when god is king and so when jesus describes in many of his parables the kingdom of god he's describing what it's like when god is in charge what's it like when god's in charge well it's like Uh, a mustard seed that starts out small, the smallest seed of any garden plant, uh, but then it starts out very, very small, but then it grows up to be the largest of the garden plants and the birds come to nest in it from all over the world. What's it like? It's like a small measure of yeast in 60. It's a small bit of yeast in 60 measures of dough that takes its time, but ultimately the whole mound of dough rises that's the that's the church in history starting small getting bigger getting greater and i i'll take the moment here to to say i do not believe that it's a constant uphill increase in gospel prosperity but that it is a uh, it is through the struggle and through the the um the suffering of the church that the kingdom of god expands on the earth no, I've, I haven't really touched much on, I have no idea where I am in my time. I forgot to start my timer. You got but, about a minute, Luke. Uh, I, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, the major difference, I think, between uh, myself and uh, these two here is uh, my approach to prophecy in the Bible. And maybe this will come out in the questions uh, to a great deal. Uh, but I'm a preterist. Uh, I think one of these guys might be more of a historicist and one of these guys might be more of a futurist. Um, and, uh, maybe we'll get to explain what those things mean. Um, but preterist uh, basically means that many of the prophecies in the Bible have been fulfilled, especially those ones that, uh, have a sense of urgency or eminency. Um, and, uh, the book of revelation has its fulfillment for the most part in the events surrounding the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD. I just thought that's important to get in there. Um, I'll go ahead and wrap up my time. Right on brother. And good job. All three of you guys for um, great explanation. I think it was very thorough. Um, So Luke, you answered uh, the question that I was going to ask all three of you uh, just to get this thing started. Um, But, but you answered already. So let me ask Justin and Robert, what would the fundamental difference be between your views? Um, what, what would that fundamental difference be? And should I go first? So uh, between my view and Justin's? Yeah, between the, yeah, yeah. Between the all-mill okay. and pre-mill so, view. Like, yeah. Go ahead. So, yeah, so basically it would be the, the nature of the kingdom described in Revelation 20. I think we would interpret a lot of other texts pretty similarly. We would probably have a pretty similar understanding as opposed to Luke on what this, uh, what the two ages refer to that are found a few places in the New Testament, this age and the age to come. We, we would probably be pretty close. Uh, where we disagree is what the first resurrection in Revelation 20 refers to and where the kingdom is located. So everywhere in Revelation, uh, uh, thrones, which are not Satan's throne, are located in heaven. Um, and, and so that would be a line of evidence, uh, along with just the fact that we're dealing with apocalyptic and some of the promises throughout revelation, where I would see as a strong indicator that we're looking at a heavenly scene in, in revelation 20, but he, he is, he made the point emphatically that he sees it as an earthly scene and a physical bodily resurrection for the first resurrection. So those are the differences as I see him. I don't know if he wants to add anything to that. Yeah. Justin, do you want to add anything to that? That's pretty much it. I mean, I uh, 
first off, I just um, overjoyed that it's just all three of us. But since we're talking about Robert and I now, that I mean, we have so many similarities, and you know, not to sound, mm-hmm. you know, uh, trying to flatter you guys or Robert or anything, but I mean, it's just because I mean, I've 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 been involved in uh, some other debates on more serious matters, and I mean, it's just it's very pleasing that this because I mean, it doesn't seem. You know, it doesn't seem like uh, very uh, negatively uh, consequential, our disagreements, at least from what I understand now. You know, I've, I, I, you know, because I think we're both looking for, like Robert mentioned in the group text, we're both looking for a uh, final uh, manifestation or type of uh, an Antichrist type, um, you know, what he's going to do, uh, a persecution that you know i think is going to be top the last ones so you know that's good but yeah right. what he what he said I, that's our fundamental difference is the location and um and then and then hopefully and as the discussion goes on we get into the the nitty-gritty and the details of the thrones and, and interpretation and things like that no, absolutely. Let's jump into it now. Revelation 20. So the omnil position is that this scene is a heavenly uh, celestial scene. The premillennialism position is that this is an earthly scene. So what what makes you guys, well, and we'll start uh, with Robert, what makes you guys uh, hold to the position that you do? Robert, what makes this heavenly? Um, what is it about the text that makes this a heavenly uh, scene? Yeah, so I, I shared a little bit of that evidence in my opening, but you know, Jesus right. promised that the one who conquers, and, and by conquering, he he refers to persevering to the end, even in the face of, of persecution, ultimately resulting in death, that that they will be uh, enabled to sit with him on on the throne that he has sat down on. And so, where is that promise found throughout the book of Revelation? Uh, where there there are little hints of it in in you know chapter five and chapter six. Um, and, and maybe a couple other places, but it doesn't pop up again, in my opinion, throughout the rest of Revelation, unless it's there in Revelation 20. And, and so uh, the, the, uh, the other line of evidence that I made the point is, is with the word thrones. Um, it says that he, he saw these thrones and seated on them were those to whom authority to judge or for whom judgment was given. There's a debate about how you would interpret that Greek phrase. Um, there, there's, there's, um, uh, there's, there are these thrones, and and um, it talks about these people uh, living and reigning with Christ for a thousand years. So uh, the the idea is that uh, elsewhere in Revelation, when thrones are mentioned, this is very easy to do if if your your listeners have Bible software, or you could probably do it online somehow. Um, you can search for every use of the word thrones, without exception, except when it's referring to Satan's throne. They are not on earth. They are in heaven in the book of Revelation, right? The, the thrones are always heavenly. And so uh, with, with that in mind, we, we would need some basis for, for moving uh, the scene of, of God's people enthroned with Christ uh, to a heavenly place here. And, and the argument that Justin would probably want to make is that if you read Revelation 19 uh, and 20 as a single chronological sequence, that looks like it makes sense, right? In Revelation 19, Jesus uh, c- comes down from heaven and he slays all of God's enemies. And then uh, uh, he binds Satan. And then there's this first resurrection, a thousand year reign of rebellion and then judgment I- into new creation. Uh, right. The problem with that, there, there are a number of problems with that. Uh, they have to do with the way John uses the old Testament in that passage. And both 
uh, chapter 19 and chapter 20, John quotes, uh, <clears throat> makes reference, allusion to the same single battle uh, that, that Ezekiel describes in Ezekiel 38 and 39. Uh, also at the end of Revelation 19, all opposition to Christ is just wiped out. There, there, there are no survivors. And um, Revelation, uh, apocalyptic literature and ideology in general are notable for their dualism. You're either with Christ or you're against him. There's no middle ground. You either took the mark of the beast or you persevered to the end and, and died for, for your efforts only to be uh, resurrected and, and glorified eventually. Um, and so the idea that there are like these neutral parties that, that would survive into the millennium and then rebel against Christ in some kind of second fall after Satan is, is released from his prison is, is just really out of place. And if that scenario is what John intends, He's completely unique from anything else in any eschatological discourse anywhere in the Bible. You don't get that in the Olivet Discourse and in Matthew 25 in parallels. You don't get that in Revelate or uh, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 15 or 1st or 2nd Thessalonians, where there's a lot of eschatological material. Nobody seems to know about this temporary thousand-year kingdom sandwiched between two partial resurrections, two partial judgments, and uh, any of this stuff. So, so that's that's why I think a, a different reading is wanted. Now, I think you make a point on the two resurrections because, like you said in your opening, that everywhere else through Scripture we see one resurrection, and that kind of threw me, too, in Revelation uh, 20. But for those who don't know, I just want to kind of read uh, just a little bit of Revelation 19 so we get a context of what these guys are talking about. Um, uh, let me see. Then I heard a loud voice, uh, Then I heard, starting in verse 6, then I heard what sounded like the voice of a vast throng, like the roar of many waters and like loud crashes of thunder. They were shouting, Hallelujah for our Lord, our God, the all-powerful reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory because the wedding celebration of the Lamb, Lamb has come and his bride made herself ready. She was permitted to be dressed in bright uh, fine linen, for fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Then the angel said to me, write the following. This isn't what I was looking for. Um, well, let's just do this. Justin, what's your response uh, to Robert? Why should what what makes you say that we should read Revelation nineteen and twenty as two separate events, and especially in Revelation twenty, where there does seem to be two uh, resurrections? If you take this passage in a literalistic way, what make what what's your argument uh, for that uh, position? Well, I don't know if I'm touching on that exact like what you were saying about the sequence of. Revelation 19 and 20, but my sure. one of my foundational things for this is um, to, okay, so if you say, it's like a, it's almost like, I don't know if you would, no offense, and I'm just kind of not asserting, but I'm claiming that this is a claim, right? Mm-hmm. Um, even if you have uh, so many instances up to a certain point, if you have nine thrones, if you have 10 thrones, nine of them are in heaven and one that's, there's nothing in logic that has a rule that says, Oh, because all these, all these nine are, then this 10th one has to be in heaven. Um, that I would say, uh, is number one. Um, as far as the, uh, the thrones go, cause you have, I have, um, here and I, I want to transit. Well, hopefully I'll have some time, but, um, we have right here in uh, Luke twenty two twenty eight through 30, we have Jesus talking to the disciples, and he says, You are the ones who have stood by me in trials, and just as my Father has granted me a kingdom, I grant that you may eat and drink at my table 
in my kingdom and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So I think you could, uh, and we have to realize, and me and Robert and all of us both realize it's kind of like what you're thinking from. So, but you can switch it. So if you're thinking from uh, that, this is not in heaven or not possible. You can, you can interpret that way. Um, And so you have here, you know, him talking about eating and drinking. And I don't think in the, uh, millennial reign from Robert's view that um, cause I had, he's, he actually says that, the, that that's not a physical body. Well, you have him here eating and drinking. And then after that, then he says, and you will sit on the thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So that's just a, uh, an example of where the thrones don't have to be uh, only in heaven, but then you have, uh, this is one I wanted to bring up. So we have the sheep in the goat judgment. And you have Matthew 24, and the, the context is the second coming, Christ's return, and then you have nope. uh, the judgment. And um, you, have, you have where he says, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory. You don't have, when he's talking about that, he's, he's referencing from heaven to earth. So he says, and that's why he's saying, but when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, and then we can we can look at the, uh, the other places where it talks about the angels coming with him earlier in Matthew 24, but that's coming to the earth. Um, I could go on and on about that. Um, so he comes in his glory and all the angels come with him. I don't think they're coming from heaven to heaven. And it says he will sit on his glorious throne. Okay, so then you have you have the Jews. The Jews had an expectation, even the ones who were faithful and believed him and accepted him. Um, they had this expectation of a conquering Messiah, and their expectation of a physical, which I think Robert agrees with in some sense, but their expectation of Messiah coming to earth, conquering their enemies here, that was, that was true. That expectation in and of itself is correct. It's just they had the uh, the timing wrong, but my point is is that they were that it, they were expecting, and it is true that Messiah will sit here terrestrial terrestrially on a throne. So, so that's what Justin. Sir, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I said sir, go ahead. Okay, so the passage you're referring to, Justin, Matthew 25, verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be assembled before him, and he will separate people one from another like a shepherd separates the sheep uh, from the goats. So that's the judgment uh, that you're speaking about, right? And you're saying that's taking place here on earth? Yeah, because he says when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and that's where in, when the, the Olivet Discourse that's where he's referencing from. He's referencing his second coming. And the second coming is from heaven to earth, which he has a throne there. I 100% agree with Robert. He has a throne there. Most of the revelation language is a heavenly throne, you know, all that. Right. Okay. I'll let, yeah, go ahead. Well, I just wanted to, I wanted to get one, wanted to uh, say one more thing to his, uh, what he was saying earlier about, uh, he said, you know, he was saying, he was saying nowhere, nowhere in the Bible. And he was talking about John, um, 
he was talking about John uh, referencing. I forgot exactly what he was saying because my my what I wanted to talk about was uh, what storms. It didn't come up on the whole time. I haven't listened to a lot of uh, <clears throat> post mill, pre mill, on mill, you know, debates, but I did listen to that one. But what mm-hmm. storms never brings up is uh, Zechariah fourteen, and mm-hmm. um, someone would need to someone needs to show in Zechariah fourteen where you sit, where you have after uh, you have after. Let me just go to it. But you have after God gathers all nations to battle against Jerusalem. So mm-hmm. he, um, I think from Luke's view, he would probably take that as happening um, in 70 AD. But Where are you at in Zechariah 14? Zechariah Justin? 14. Mm-hmm. So you have verse 2. Verse 1 says, Behold, the day is coming for the Lord, for the Lord when the spoil will be taken <clears throat> What we taken from you will be divided among you. Okay, so you have verse 2. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured, houses plundered. We can reference that uh, with Matthew and Luke, um, what happens to uh, his people, unfortunately. Um, so you have that going on, but the point is I will gather all nations to battle against Jerusalem. So he gets into the details. Uh you have verse 3. He says, Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on day of battle. So I take that as, I take this as, because what we have in Revelation and we have in different parts in the Bible through the different prophets is we have a zoom. So we have a zoom in of this detail. So we have a zoom out. Uh, Revelation 19, 20, uh, 18 have these kind of zoom out so you look for other places in the bible when you have more details uh filling in so i take i take and i think it's very reasonable and coherent to take this right here then the lord will go forth and fight against those nations when he fights on day of battle as as uh the battle of armageddon because i Mm -hmm. think that's where they all physically fit that's where they uh go to revelation 16 talks about that um so you have um Jesus himself conquering those nations. So let me, I'm getting to my point. goes on and on and on. So we have him gathering the nations. We have a judgment. He battles uh, their enemies. Uh, you, you have where we get the, uh, the luminaries dwindle. Um, there, won't be, there won't be any light in the daytime, yada, yada. So we go down, and we said in, in, in verse 9, And the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day the Lord will be the only one in his name. <clears throat> Uh, it goes on to tell the positive things that are going to happen, the restoration that's going to happen. He talks about in verse 12, the plague that's going to go on to the people. I think that's big in detail what exactly happens to the people that he destroys himself with the, with the sword of his mouth uh, in the battle of Armageddon. Um, I think it talks so, about that. Justin, if I can just interrupt here for just a little yeah. bit. Um, so Zechariah 14, your point is that this is the battle of Armageddon, correct? It's part of the bar. The, yeah, it leads to the Battle of Armageddon. The the zoom okay. in detail. Yeah, the zoom in details of the Battle of Armageddon. Because when we're told about the Battle of Armageddon in Revelation, it's a zoomed out view. So we're getting okay. a more very detailed view here. But anyways, okay. I'm almost there. So my point is, is right here. So after all that, after all that, we have. And this isn't, keep in mind, this isn't happening yet. 
Then, verse 16, then it will come about that any who are left of all the nations that went against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts. Mm-hmm. So I'm, that's when, because it already said earlier, and uh, one can one can say when his feet stand on the Mount of Olives, well, that's not literal. Um, well, I, I take it as literal. I can, I, I'd like to at some point get into detail of when you can interpret literal that the prophets aren't always used in poetic symbology and stuff <clears> like that. Sometimes <throat> they do both. But anyway, so you have uh, you have Jesus here, you have him back, then you have the nations, you have this worldwide uh, kind of a mandate for worship for the nations. And, uh, and it's going to be on the Feast of Booths, also known as the Feast of Tabernacles. And then it gives a consequence, and it says it will be that whichever the families of the earth does not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. If the family of Egypt does not go up, then no rain will follow them. This will be the plague which the Lord smites the nations who do not go up to celebrate the Feast of Booths. So all that to say, my point is, is that is going on in the first part of the millennial reign um, where you still have uh, a level of not the same as now of rebellion possible on the earth while Jesus is here. Okay. Robert, what is your response to what Justin said? There's a a lot to respond to there. So let's, so I, I admit that when you read Zechariah 14 on its own, that sounds very impressive. That, that sounds like, premillennialism or maybe even postmillennialism. I feel bad because Luke hasn't got to <laughs> say a whole lot, so maybe we can turn to him after this. But yeah. a, a really important key to doing eschatology, and this is why Revelation is so important, <clears throat> it is saturated like no other book with allusions to the Old Testament. Um, in fact, one, one scholar, uh, Peter uh, Leidart, says that John doesn't interpret Scripture. He, he writes with Scripture. He paints with Scripture. Scripture is his palette, right? So that's, that's what Revelation is. And, and as such, it turns out to be a very helpful commentary on biblical eschatology. So what we have to ask is, where does Revelation place the imagery of, of this uh, ruling of Yahweh on earth? Where, where does it place that? Does it place it in Revelation 20? The answer is no. There's no allusion here uh, in Revelation 20 to Zechariah 14. Where does it place it? Go to Revelation 21 and 22 in the new creation after the millennium. It is littered with allusions to Zechariah 14, um, uh, Ezekiel 40 to 48, uh, Isaiah's uh, prophecies, including his uh, new heavens, new earth, new creation imagery, all that. So, So what we have here is uh, a, a poetic, uh, pro- prophetic, depiction of the new creation and i realize how it sounds because it says oh there are going to be these this possibility that these nations will rebel but but what you have there is is the way all prophecy works and, and, and any any uh, introduction to, to biblical interpretation interpretation of prophetic literature will tell you that the prophecies are are presented even uh prophecies of the eternal age using this worldly language to to depict these eternal realities so the idea here is is to tell us that the new creation will be such that everybody will go and worship, and and, and who wouldn't go and worship the Lord if 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 you know that wasn't going to be the case if 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 punishment would come there there will be none who does this and and as you go on uh, in in verse twenty and following it talks about how in this day um, uh, the you know the horses will be inscribed and. Uh, 
with the, the language of holy uh, to the Lord, it says there will be nothing unclean in it, right? So, so the idea is that everybody's going to be obedient. And again, this is imagery that is depicted not in Revelation 20, but in Revelation 21 and 22. Find those allusions, get a Bible with marginal references that reference where the Old Testament is alluded to. I've got a big commentary here uh, edited by uh, Beale and Carson called uh, commentary on the New Testament use of the Old Testament. My books just started falling when I grabbed it. I got too excited. Um, and it will show you where all these allusions are. It, it, it is very, very amazing. Um, Luke needs to say some stuff. Yes. That. Yeah, Luke, we got about <laughs> 10 minutes left, buddy. Um, what, what's your view on Zechariah 14? I'll be honest, don't have a view on it. Um, I, okay. I, I'm not entirely sure. Uh, I listened to one thing this week. <clears throat> on uh, the possibility that uh, this this battle of Zechariah 14 has its fulfillment in Esther uh, and the the attempt to wipe out the the people of God in Esther's day um, it, it, but um, I'm not I'm not wholly convinced and I'm not wholly informed and I can't speak informed on it um, I, I I appreciate uh, what Robert said that um, the, if this does in fact depict, um, the new heavens, new earth, um, then in my perspective, new heavens and new earth comes during the millennium. Uh, it's something that is growing and increasing after the destruction of the temple in 70 AD and that it comes to its full fruition at the time of the eternal state. But it's, not so, it's, it's something that begins when Christ says, I am making all things new. It's something that begins at that time and grows and continues to grow. Uh, so if that's the case, then that would, that would definitely point to uh, when it says that God is King over all and, and the nations come to uh, worship, um, sure. then this is worship at Jerusalem. I would take uh, the worship at Jerusalem to be at the, the worship of Christ with the people of God. Um, but you were going to say, I was just going to ask if I could just say, uh, not go into detail like I did before, but just to say, hey, is there? Uh, I promise, is there? Uh, can you maybe you could consider this, and then that's it. Is that okay, yeah. Tyler? Yeah, go ahead. Um, and this specifically to to Luke's view is as from my perspective, I I I wonder, and I wonder if you're considering. Um, from now going forward, the harvest of the earth. And I think it's important because Jesus said the wheat will grow together with the tares. So at the same time, which is, it is hard to reconcile. I admit we have uh, Ephesians 4 talking about coming to the full maturity in Christ. Um, but at the same time, and I take part of Ephesians 4 when it's talking about that as actually uh, the, the maturity of the wheat, you know, because it, it's, it's maturing. So I think we, we would all agree with that, but I think we, we have to consider that uh, sadly and unfortunately, and thank God we're not part of the uh, tares anymore, but we have the tares need to come to full maturity too. So we still have that going on and that's part of the kickoff uh, to the eschaton. Luke, I, let your... me, let me, let me yeah. piggyback on that because uh, what kind of field is it? This goes to the the idea of uh, optimism in history. Uh, what kind of field is it that the wheat and the tare are growing in? I have no clue. It's a wheat field. Well, wheat. It's a it's a field meant for wheat. 
Right. Yeah. Can I step in real quick? So, but the terrorists still have to go grow to full maturity. No, I know. I'm, I'm, I'm really, I'm really not touching on. Uh, I don't think I was touching on your point. I, I was sort of transitioning to uh, the, the the earth belongs to the Lord's yeah, I agree. people. Amen. Yep. Amen. I, yeah. I agree. So, I agree. so we we all agree with that. I think we're all optimistic about the gospel spreading, advancing, being effective. Um, and so where, where I would push back with Luke's view, Luke and I will have some similarities in structure. Um, and so I, that's why I get to be in the middle. I get to have the best of both. And, and I feel like I'm in the middle too. Everybody's in the middle here. Everybody but Justin is in the middle. No, no, but, uh, so, so anyways, but um, the question is, how, how is the gospel going to spread and have its effect? I look at a text, the, a text that I see is really problematic with Luke's view with all love and respect is a text like Romans chapter 8, and I, I think the book of Revelation. But in, in Romans 8, he talks about how the whole creation is subject to decay until the revelation of the sons of God, until the resurrection. So this, this dynamic of us being killed all the day long, like sheep being led to the slaughter, this persecution is not interrupted by a, uh, you know, a moment where, where the church sort of takes over the world and everything's Christianized, and then you get this long kingdom before there's um, a, a rebellion in Christ returns, but it's until the resurrection. So, so there is no interim there. So that, that text to me is, is problematic for, for both their views, but I see that as, as uh, oh a, a distinct point where I would, I would depart from what Luke is saying. I'm optimistic about the gospel, but how does the gospel spread? They overcome uh, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony because they love not their lives even unto death. We, we give our lives uh, if necessary, preaching the gospel, uh, re- reflecting Christ, and and that reality doesn't change until Jesus comes back and eradicates all evil. Right. Once I think I'll. All. Yeah, right. Sorry. Right. I, I think no, no, you're good, Robert. I think yeah. I'll, uh, Luke, we've got about uh, two minutes left. I think I'll give you the closing words uh, on this one, and then if you want to kick it back to me whenever you're done, I'll take us out, man. Yeah. I appreciate you guys coming on, brother. Yeah, I, you know what? I actually prepared for for the the closing to just read from a, a portion of N.T. Wright's "Simply Jesus," and whatever you believe about N.T. Wright, I probably believe it too. Um, but uh, have issues with him. But this book is a is a is a wonderful gift, and this is from the closing section. Uh, and I think I have time to read this. Uh, Jesus is at work in all sorts of ways and through the church itself. Uh, we are to be, as Paul says, renewed in the image of the Creator, Colossians three ten. Renewed that is by worship of God and the Lamb, so that we are able to serve as kings and priests. All what he told us, uh, that's what he told us to expect. The poor in spirit will be making the kingdom of heaven happen. Uh, Did I miss something here? Uh, No. The poor in spirit will be making the kingdom of heaven happen. The meek will be taking over the earth so gently that the powerful won't notice until it's too late. The peacemakers will be putting the arms manufacturers out of business. Those who are hungry and thirsty for God's justice will be analyzing government policy and legal rulings rulings and speaking up on behalf of those at the bottom of the pile. The merciful will be surprising everybody by showing that there is a different way to do human relations other than being judgmental, eager to put everyone else down. You are the light of the world, said Jesus. You are the salt of the earth. He was announcing a program yet to be completed. He was inviting his hearers then and now to join him in making it happen. This is quite simply what it looks like when Jesus is enthroned. Mm. And you said that was N.T. right? Oh, Luke. Yeah. And yeah. I want to say what? N.T. Right simply simply Jesus is that work. <laughs> simply Jesus. Yeah. What, what was uh, that, Robert? As, uh, I said N.T. right is also a millennial. So, Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I was thinking uh, because uh, I, I, I really didn't have I really didn't have a moment 
uh, to to ask any questions. Yeah. Uh, if I might ask a question to each of you now, and then that that's as, about as long as I can stick around. Yeah. Um, awesome. uh, to to Robert. Uh, so I read from N.T. Wright, and I'm actually not sure. You, you say he's amillennial. I thought for sure that I had heard that he was post. But either way, if he's an amillennial, I'm an amillennial because uh, I believe that. I believe that. Uh, so I would ask you, you, so you believe, do you believe that the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, uh, it has an earthly impact outside of the salvation of lost sinners in this period during the millennium? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay, but but not to such an extent that that the persecution <laughs> dynamic that we see operative throughout the New Testament that's that's normative for the entire church age before Christ returns. So, um, okay, yeah, now, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I believe I believe that it's by suffering that the church grows. I believe that, yeah. uh, but but there there comes. <laughs> I certainly I believe at a point there comes a point when. Uh, the gospel that, that it's, you can call it a tipping point or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The gospel becomes the the predominant influence in in culture, and yeah. even still, it's through suffering and self sacrifice in one's life you give up, you you die to self, and mm-hmm. it's through that effort as well that you continue to expand and grow the kingdom. Um, yeah, you can't argue with that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but. Uh, well, what was I going to say? I was going to say, well, for instance, um, if you talked to the, the Christians in the first century, the second century, going through their going, um, going through what they were going through, um, and you would have told them, you know, there's going to be a day when uh, 200 people can gather in a building uh, yeah. that has a that that is has a sign on it that advertises for people to come uh, that and they do so completely freely. Um, they would say, I can't imagine that that doesn't fit with what Jesus has told us about how all or what, what Paul wrote about how uh, all the faithful would suffer. I can't imagine how that would be how that can be the case. There's no suffering there. And yet here we are. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I think that would be to normalize our Amer- American experience. And yeah. um, if you if you look at the church globally, they it still very much looks like what what Paul and Jesus said. absolutely yeah. you know. Absolutely. And so, so that's yeah, that's time. the I, I think if we it's coming yeah, here too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, maybe. So. Yeah, and and so it's it's like climbing. Uh, it's it's like climbing the foothills of the Rockies. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might start out going up. And then you got to go back down and then you go up again and back down again. Mm -hmm. Uh, All right. Anyway. uh, So I'm just glad to hear that. uh, So essentially, um, well, there really isn't, I mean, the difference is um, the difference then, and I I don't mean this in in a derogatory way. I believe that the uh, great commission will be successful to its entirety and you don't. No, I do. <laughs> okay. Every nation will be decided. Every nation will be decided. I agree with that. Too. Yeah, yeah. But, but that, you know, we don't, we don't universalize the term nation. And so that's another thing, too, when you, when you look at the mm. way that language is used, the, the, the ethne. Uh, and even if you just grab a Greek lexicon and, and look at what that term means, we can't universalize that and say that means every individual or, or virtually every individual in every nation is going to be successfully evangelized or anything like that 
So I, I believe that every nation will be discipled. Jesus, that's what, what we see depicted in Revelation, that there's um, a great crowd from, from um, every nation. But, it, but do, you, yeah. do, you think, do you think that it means in Matthew 28 um, that there will be disciples amongst every nation? Absolutely, yeah. But not, not that the nations no, I, themselves I think, will be I think disciples. that's what he means by saying the, the, the ethne, so you can use that term, the pagans, uh, the, the ethnicities. Sure. Yeah, nation, it can be synonymous know, with yeah. Gentiles. Yes, yes. Yeah. And so the, the idea, you know, to, to press that into saying that that means that the, the nations will all be Christianized, as I understand to be the, the kind of post-millennialist idea, I think that that presses it beyond um, uh, what seems to be the intention there. Let me so, jump in. Yeah. Yeah. If, if I can, just for a second, let me jump in. Mm -hmm. uh, Luke, so whenever you read that every nation, like they, there will be believers on every nation, every, every one of us believe that, right? So my question is why, and, and again, please don't take us the wrong way, but it seems like you're assuming that the major, that means the, the majority of people in every nation will be Christians, where we're saying that just because there's some people, you know, Every yeah, every nation will have believers, but just because that's the case, not the majority. Does that make sense? Well, what I'm sa what I'm saying is, I believe it means something different. Uh, when Jesus says "go go disciple the nations," means okay. something different than "go make disciples in the nations." Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, it it can be what's called an accusative of of reference. The idea would be making disciples with reference to the nation, because you know, in Matthew's gospel. Uh, when he sends out the disciples, he tells them, don't go to the Gentiles, right? And then all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Now go to the Gentiles, go to the nations and disciple them as well. So just as there was a remnant in uh, among the Israelites who believe, um, there, there's every reason to expect that that's the case. But let me go on record and say, I, I hope you're right, Luke. Like, I mean, yeah, I'm, I know, it's, you know, and, and it, it's, you know, but uh, yeah, Doug, I, I love, I, I love the way Doug Wilson says something yeah. about something one time. He says not about this, but he says, I, I don't buy it, but wouldn't it be great if it were true? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Uh, so anyways, you know, we'll, we'll see, but, uh, yeah. and you know, what's going on in, in uh, Asia and Africa, you know, Christianity is spreading like wildfire. But then we look here in the U.S. and we're becoming fastly post-Christian. So, yep. you know, it, it, it's, you know, you, you look at it like, oh, there are these signs of, of hope, you know. And, and that was what was going on, you know, when, when post-millennialism in, in the early years of, of colonization in America was yep. really in its heyday is, wow, we've got, We've got, uh, you know, mm. a, a whole nation filled with Christians. N let's not pay attention to the fact that we're enslaving black people while we're doing it and killing mm -hmm. Indians while we do it. Let's not pay attention to that. But, wow, look at this. You know, the, the millennium yeah. might be coming, you know. And, yeah. and um, so, uh, anyways. Yeah, yeah we're, we're, we, all, we all are um, at risk of interpreting our eschatology in light of what's happening around yes. us. Yes. Yes. And that's what 20, 20th century post-millennialists have gotten yeah. away from is yeah. the mm -hmm. idea that this this isn't the golden age we don't yeah. expect it to be yeah. uh but yes uh, certainly the puritans and the and the pilgrims they did expect it to be they thought yeah. well here we are Refor yeah. we're, we're we're a few hundred we're, we're a couple hundred years out from the initial reformation yeah. and things are looking pretty good so jesus must be coming back anytime yeah. now yeah and I, I, I don't, I, I don't see it that way. I, I think that uh, we could be in the early church. There could be twenty-five thousand years left, for all I know, yeah, yeah. and that causes me no concern whatsoever. Sure. Uh, that I, I, I rejoice to think of it, um, yeah. because run, run if your race to the end. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. I, if nobody wants to like continue on that, I have a separate question. Go I did. Ahead. I did ha- want want an opportunity to ask uh, Justin yeah. a question. Uh, yeah. We we talked about he talked about thrones, uh, yeah. and so I just want to get just, you before I, you go, Luke. So. No, for sure. And okay. I wanted to just clarify one thing with with Justin. Um, yeah. Is Jesus enthroned now? Yep. Okay. Is. And is he enthroned on the throne of David? I don't think so. No. Okay. Do you do you believe that the throne of David has to be a physical throne? Yeah, I do, because like what I was talking about earlier, um, the Jewish, but I think, I think some, sometimes I, I think it's, it's both because the, the goal, the end game is an Edenic state. Okay. So let me, let me go in even zoom in even closer. So what I didn't get to get to a little bit earlier is that if you, you look in uh, 21 and 22, Revelation 21 and 22, and you, you repeatedly have this, you still have this locality language, uh, you know, the New Jerusalem, which I think is, you make a very strong case for, is synonymous with uh, Mount Zion, but it's like the fulfilled Mount Zion. So you have, uh, you have an area, kind of like Eden was an actual boundaried, physical boundaried, uh, heaven meeting earth uh, area. So I think that the end game being Jesus bringing the, bringing the kingdom of God and uh, restoring it to the earth, um, making the tabernacle of God with men. I think the spiritual and the uh, physical are combined. So I, 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 the end game, I don't see, any difference and i i don't see a way to get around that either sure so that so that's why it, it kind of you know may I, I don't think it really matters that much um so i think you know I, it's almost like we don't say okay so jesus leaves his i mean yes in one sense he leaves his heavenly throne to come to the earthly throne but i think they kind of in a way are the same thing yeah he gets his earthly throne on the earth. Your kingdom come on earth as uh, your will be done on right. earth as it is in heaven. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so when, when, you know, Peter and, and you know, Psalm 1101 is, is really important and that's about David's throne, right? The, the Lord yeah. said to my Lord, sit on my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Mm-hmm. That's quoted. I, I was more, th- I was more thinking yeah. Isaiah nine, si- or Isaiah nine, seven. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so, I mean, that's everywhere in the New Testament quoted as what's already happened with Jesus' yep. ascension and, and session in, in the current age. Uh, you know, we, I think we all agree that, that there's going to be an earthly element to that in the future, um, but, but he's already on, on David's throne as far as I can tell. And, and it's interesting that, so the, the view that he wasn't, it was a, a classical dispensational view uh, that that's just future, that's for the millennium. But now there, there really are almost no scholarly dispensationalists anymore who hold that view. So I, I, I went to Dallas Theological Seminary, which I say is where dispensationalism grew up. You know, mm-hmm. it's not where it was sure. invented, but it, it's where it, it kind of got its scholarly heyday. And yep, yep. Um, I, I remember asking um, Daryl Bach, who was one of my professors there. Yep. Um, he, he wrote the uh, co-authored, I think, the book on progressive dispensationalism, one of them. 
And I asked him, you know, because I was like, yeah, you know, some, you know, old, the old dispensationalist said we weren't in the new covenant and that Jesus wasn't on David's throne. Do you believe that? He says, yes, we're in the new covenant. Yes, Jesus is on David's throne. <laughs> you, you know, just like, but that, that's because, you know, he's a New Testament scholar and he's like, you know, you can't, but, you can't make that argument, you know, and, and but anyways, yeah. But the yeah. issue, but again, to me, the issue is that it, it, it doesn't really matter. And I mean, mm -hmm. if, 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 yeah. If our no no offense, if our if our reasoning for that not okay not reason our reason for that is to avoid uh, you know an earthly throne and this thing I just I don't I don't yeah, see it nobody's trying to avoid that we we well, all believe that there there is going to be an earthly throne but the well, question but is if he is yeah. but if he yeah. is on the throne but if he is on the throne of David yeah I mean it doesn't really in reality it doesn't change anything it doesn't it no doesn't, no like, no oh, it doesn't you know to. what I mean no yeah exactly yeah so I mean we, well, we all agree I was I was I was I would more lead that conversation into uh, a conversation in first Corinthians 15 and the order of at the eschaton that yeah. Paul gives there which results in the final enemy being defeated yes when the end comes when the resurrection uh, happens but yeah. Tyler you said you had Yes, exactly. At yeah, the time I of do. Resurrection, but <laughs> I, I do have a question, but it's off topic. I mean, if you guys want okay, to keep going well, on this, we can. No, go go ahead and ask it because I don't have much more time, and uh, my arrows are starting to destroy my house. All um, right, fair enough. All right, fair enough. So my so I was listening to the debate or well the discussion uh, Piper that I sent you guys, and from what I understand now, Justin, I think I know your answer to this, but I wanted to ask Luke and Robert both the same question. Do you guys believe that Satan is bound uh, now? Yes. My specialty right Yes. Now. <laughs> and I think, okay. Justin, I think Justin would say no, right? The, I won't even start. because Bound. I okay. Bound with reference <laughs> to deceiving the nations. Yeah, yeah, Maybe. yeah. Yeah. He's okay. bound with reference to deceiving the nations. Yeah. That doesn't mean so, he's totally okay. inactive. Yeah, yeah. So you, you would say, Luke, before you hop off, that the Revelation 21 through 3, where the angel seizes Satan and binds him, sends him into the abyss, shuts it and seals it. That's a reality now. Correct. That, that, okay. And so you and I agree there and, and yeah. uh, J Justin would, would depart from that. So, yeah. so, so I'd love to right. expound so, on that. It's yeah, what sure. our well, writing is about. I guess, so just a follow-up question then, and it's a real quick on our promise, but uh, Peter, first Peter five, eight says, be sober and alert. Your enemy, the devil, like a roaring lion is on the prowl looking for yeah. someone to devour is on the prowl. Yeah. Uh, is present indicative, right? So how can Satan both be bound and seeking someone to devour? Well, bound with reference to deceiving the nations. Yeah. And ask no, okay, no more, so what it, no, yeah, yeah. no more do the nations of the earth have spiritual powers behind yeah. them. Yeah. That the heavenly powers have to fight against. Yeah. And when, wait, when, wait, when wait, Michael okay. comes to answer, answer the prayer of Daniel, uh, he says, sorry, I was delayed for a while. I had to fight with the Prince right. of Persia. Uh, right. No more do the earthly kingdoms have uh, spiritual powers backing them yeah. uh, in that way. Yeah. Satan doesn't get the Canaanite nations anymore. They okay. are, they're open. They're, they're exposed. They're, they're like exposed enemies with no defense and Christ is going to come and conquer them. And uh, Christ, no one's going to oppose Christ in that. I mean, he's still active in deceiving individuals right. seeking who he's going to devour. Uh, but he cannot deceive the nation so as to, stop the spread of the gospel so it's the scope in basically yeah 
I don't want to say quantity versus quality, but he's limited in what he extent can do rather than yes. it's he's okay. limited in in yeah. his extent rather than he's not limited entirely. He yeah. is not inactive. Yeah. So, and, and Robert, you'd agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I agree. And and I would press like in Revelation twenty, the deception of the nations has to do with assembling them for the the global assault that that we see depicted towards the end of Revelation chapter twenty. So that he's prevented from doing that in particular as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, sure. so, so Jesus said um, that um, his, Be- his... Because whenever he's released, it says, yeah. then he goes out and deceives. And that's what he does to, to gather the nations, right? So, so that's what he's prevented from doing. So this is, this is apocalyptic imagery that expresses what, what Luther famously said, the devil is God's devil. God has him on a leash. God is right. sovereign exactly. over him. Yep. Um, so Jesus said in his own ministry, when he was accused of casting out demons by the power of Beelzebul, he says, you can't plunder a strong man's house unless you first unless you bind, bind him. him. And, and he says, right. Satan right. has been bound. And in and, and Luke's gospel, when he sends um, the, the 70 out, uh, when, he, when they come back saying, you know, hey, Jesus, the, the demons uh, submitted to us in your name. And he said, I saw Satan fall like oh, lightning, right? So it's only and, bound for his people, though. I don't know how you would validate that. Um, but but the, the, the point there would, is that, um, and we get this presented in uh, Revelation 12 as well, where when, when Jesus is, is born, it says that there's no place found in heaven for, for Satan oh, anymore. I got that, that one. That, that, that he's, he's thrown down to the earth. And uh, I heard a sermon that uh, Matt Chandler recently did a series on. I gotta go. Oh, see you, man. Yeah, it's it's right, falling apart. Yep. <laughs> have, have a good night. See you guys. All right, Luke. Nice Thanks, brother. Yeah. Hey, let me know when you want to do another one. See you. Yes, sir. Okay. Will do. Good meeting you. Yeah. Nice meeting but, you too. Yep. Good night. See go you. ahead, Robert, and then I'll, if I can yeah, yeah. respond so, to that. So Chan- yeah, yeah. Chandler used this analogy. He said Satan is like a mob boss in prison, right? So he's got he's got his his phonies on the outside in Revelation. That's the beast and the false prophet, right? And so, mm-hmm. so they're his agents. They're, and it's interesting in Revelation 12 when it says that he's cast down to the earth, you don't hear anything about the devil after that until Revelation 20. When, you know, and so uh, the idea is who, who, who's doing all this stuff? It's the beast and the false prophet. Why? Because Satan has been uh, subdued to a degree. His, 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 sure. The scope of his power and authority has been uh, limited significantly, and, and he has to do all his work through, through his goons. And and that's the same reality that I think is being depicted in in the binding image of that begins Revelation chapter twenty. It, 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 you know, uh, Jesus talks about how when I'm in when I'm uh, he says from now on. Uh, how does he word it? I'm sorry. It's uh, let me just read this real yeah. quick. It's in John twelve. From now on, what? Um, John twelve. What is it? Verse thirty. Oh, this is in uh, my deal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, You're talking about when he says the ruler of this world will be cast yes. out. Yes, yes, yeah, oh, yeah. And, yeah. That's right. Yeah. So. He says, now the judgment of the world, now it is the time world. of the judgment of the world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. So, so you know when he was cast out, right? With, with, with Christ, he says, from now on. Um, so the, but he's the, looking forward to, he's looking forward to, to something. Uh, yeah, well, well yeah, he's looking forward to the cross when I am lifted go. up. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, right. so, you know, uh, you know, as as we get in the synoptics with the the, the presence of Christ's kingdom ministry, uh, Satan is 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 bound, as he says, or 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 uh, he sees Satan fall. Uh, in, in that the, was that was the first fall. That was the first fall. 
I don't so, think so. When, when he says, I mean, he, he says that in response to their being able to cast out demons in his name. So yes, I, I think, I think but, you'd, you would have to find a way to validate that that's the first fall. There's no evidence. Yeah, con contextually there, he's, he's answering their, it's their, pride. their relation. It's pride. So, so this is going to start it. He's trying to prevent them from getting prideful that they can cast out demons. And that's why it says, yeah, oh, I, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning, right? Oh, so yeah. that was that. Well, he said, he says, behold, I saw Satan fall from heaven. Yeah, from, yeah, yeah. So no, that, he, mm -hmm. that was his first. That was that was when that was when Satan lost his good standing. OK, so what, what, what happened with Satan? This, this is my my what I write on. What happened with uh, him was he was, you know, as, as, as it talks about, he was a covering cherub or cherub, covering cherub, cherub who covers, you know, he, he, was, uh, he was good at one point. And then in Isaiah, it tells us about, uh, you know, I'm going to ascend above the, the clouds and be like the most high, you know. So that's when, that's when he lost his original place in heaven. Okay, so then, then we have after that, we have the Satan still being, if you, if you, people take different views on who the Satan is in Job, you have him still being able to go into heaven, regardless of who the Satan is in Job one and two, he's got evil intentions. He's evil. So how is this evil being, how and why is this evil being allowed to go before God? The reason why is because, as we see in Zechariah 3, he's up there to accuse. This language gets repeated in Revelation 12, and it, it says accuse the brethren. It says accuse the brethren. Mm -hmm. So he's allowed to go up there and accuse. So he has a judicial place in heaven, the third heaven, because Zechariah pretty much gives a picture of that. Um, he has a judicial reason to go up there. So when... Uh, when Jesus dies on the cross and rises from the dead, the moment that's done, Satan loses his the, neat, the judicial place by God the Father to be able to accuse. This is the judgment. Light has come into the world. Men love the darkness, etc., etc. Whoever believes is not judged, but has passed from death to life. Whoever does not believe is what? Judged already. Mm-hmm. So there's no more need for an accuser in the judicial sense, the legal sense. There's no more Colossians. Uh, Colossians 2 talks about this um, as far as those who believe, because it's all that's why John 3, he hits so much on belief. It's belief and unbelief. Whoever does not believe is judged already. So there's no more need for an accuser. So that's when Satan, who it talks about in Revelation, he, he's identifies him as the devil and satan the dragon serpent of old that's when he is that's when jesus says now a judgment is upon this world now the ruler of this world will be cast out so satan's getting his final ejection from the third heaven then you see that he's cast to the earth he has great wrath because he he's he's judged already he's on bail so he's basically out free like when a person here Gets, is found guilty they have a period of time uh before they go to jail then eventually they go to prison so we have basically satan is is 
out on bail, judged already on the surface of the earth. Revelation two, uh, Satan has a throne. After that, if if you if you believe that that he was cast out of of heaven uh, when Jesus rose, then if you believe that, then by the time we get to Revelation two, then Jesus is talking about he has a throne on the earth, yeah. not in the earth, not in a pit. Not anything like that. And, so real quick, Justin, just to be clear. Yeah. So Satan is cast out of heaven and he comes to earth and he has a throne here? Yep. Like a literal yep. throne? He's a ruling? A literal, well, okay. spiritually yeah, yeah. made, whatever that spiritual stuff, the heavenly realms mm -hmm. is made of. But he has in Pergamum, because Jesus identifies it with a geographical location, whether it's made of molecules and atoms as we know it, I don't think so, but... Jesus says he has his throne uh, is in Pergamum. And um, John 16 talks about um, um, the Holy Spirit coming. So Jesus is looking forward to by the time the Holy Spirit comes. And he says concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world has been judged. And see, that's where like Robert and I think Luke, and I agree that there was some type of finding. Mm -hmm. But you see, the issue is, is that he's still on the surface of the earth right now. Whether he can go down into the Hades and all that, I don't know. But he's here with great wrath, deceiving. That's where you get your roams about. Same thing he says in Job. He, where was mm -hmm. he? He was on the earth going back and forth. He's, he's roaming around now, judged with great wrath, but he's not bound in any kind of pit or uh, abyss or anything like that. He, he, he's not bound like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and one of my big points was if you, if you press these different images, you know, with, with uh, a hard and fast literalism, there, there's just no way of reconciling them all because they're, they're, they're different ways of expressing all, 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 all the different things, Satan uh, being cast down, Satan being bound, Satan being, uh, you know, roaring about, you know, um, well, there uh, is. No, I don't think so. So I, I, I think that it would, I think that these are different kinds of images that uh, express the same reality that through Jesus kingdom ministry, his, 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 uh, his preaching ministry, his cross, his resurrection, uh, and his exaltation and session, that Satan's power has been uh, struck the death blow, right? Like his authority has, has right? And so there, agree, there, yeah. yeah, so different authors in the New Testament use different kinds of imagery to express that reality. And Revelation, of course, we know is is noted for its imagery. There, I mean, there's just, there, regardless of what we would do with the different images, we, we know that it's it's loaded with, so um, if, if, you know, if, if we don't uh, realize, you know, for example. But you're not, uh, you, you haven't showed us how, how we realize that, like what I was saying earlier is if, if you, you've made a, a true yeah. kind of generalized statement, but you, you mm -hmm. have to, you have to show. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I mean, rule I, and you have to show where, because we can't just, yeah. so we can't just broadly say, Oh, well, revelation is full of symbology and imagery. Cause no, no offense. That's, that's where you're at right now. You're like, no, that's not all where this I'm at. No, well, hold no. on. We have all yeah. this symbology. We have all this imagery and we, yeah. it's, it's, it's poetic, prophetic, uh apocalyptic imagery. but yeah. you you have to go to each one yes you have to get the context and you have to yeah. show where yeah. and why we can't yeah. just okay. apply it across the board yeah so so i you know i've i've published 
an academic paper on the book of revelation and and uh, the way apocalyptic literature, you know, the, the, the paper that I shared with you guys is written for lay people to be able to understand. But right. the, the stuff that I'm saying about the way that apocalyptic works, if you pick up any, any standard introduction to apocalyptic literature, uh, this is, this is the stuff you're, you're going to understand. And if you spend a lot of time reading the primary sources, reading the apocalypses themselves. Um, so you, 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 you get a number of these in revelation that are very evident. So you have, and this is something we didn't get to get into when, when we were, you know, the structure of Revelation is, is a really important uh, theme to get at. And, and right. I, think model, I think Revelation's structure is mod modeled after Ezekiel's structure and, um, you know, with a lot of theology from Daniel and a lot of imagery from Isaiah and, and other prophets. It, it, it's sure. it's it's very, very complex issue. But um, you get, for example, this is the clearest place where you can see it. You, you, you get this, this, um, um, literary feature that scholars call recapitulation where you it, it's like the uh did you guys ever see that uh, dennis quaid movie vantage point i have not I'm okay not sure if so I have, it's been a long time so he's on the secret service mm -hmm. and um somebody shoots the the president it turns out it's the president's uh double right or i think it was is either the president or some other world leader i'm, I'm trying to remember now and so He's trying to, and then they, but when this happened, they actually kidnapped the real president, right? Mm -hmm. And so he's on this, this rampage trying to figure out where the president is so he can save him. And he finds a dude who, you know, recorded the event with his handheld camcorder. And then he goes into a, a news station um, van and, and is able to watch video and see what So he's getting all these different pieces from these complementary angles on the same reality right. that help him put together a big picture, right? Sure, and, and in some ways, Revelation works like that. So, so we're the getting... Chiism. I mean, I, well, well, chiasm is a particular, you know, kind of structure. Um, but, but this is... Um, this is what I would say. Um, the the visions are, are like looking in at a house and in, in, into different windows in 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 the right, house. Right, that's what you're, I was saying earlier. Yeah, you're going to get zoom different in, parts. So, yeah, looking yeah. in, so, looking out. Yeah. So so what I think happens is, and and the easiest way to demonstrate this is to look at the scenes of judgment throughout. So you get, for example, in Revelation chapter 14, you get a depiction of people being sentenced to to the lake of fire, and it says that this is. Um, with this, God's wrath is complete, right? This is the final right. expression of God's wrath. And um, But then what do you get again in Revelation 20? The the resurrection and, and people being cast into the lake oh, of yeah. fire. Well, well what gives? Sure. Well, it, the, the, the latter is a recapitulation of the former, and it's giving us a different angle. It's giving us different information in order to make... But I have that in my formula. Uh, okay, right. and, and that's great. But um, so, so what I'm saying is that that's just the way that these images play off of one another. They're, they're complementary and they're, they're, they, um, they can't all be pressed, you know, again, with, with, with literalism. And if you do that, uh, I, I think you're in a lot of trouble. Yeah. I mean, that's sure. what I was a little worried about as, as I was listening to you. Which I understand, but, uh, yeah, I, yeah. Right. Let, so let me, let me do this kind of wrapping up things. Yeah, um, yeah. Justin, you said something a while ago. I want to ask a question about, and Robert, you said something and they're two totally different questions. So Robert are sure. actually, Justin, uh, let me start with you. Um, you said that Satan was kicked out of heaven and now he has a throne here on earth. My question yeah. is, do, let me ask this and then I'll, I'll clarify or have a follow-up question. Throne, whenever we're talking about thrones here, is that, do you take that as a symbol of authority in some sense? 
Not like whenever... so much. A centralized headquarters. Hmm. So whenever headquarters of organization, which we can we can deduce in, infer, you know that he's uh, has an organizational structure. So so you think he's literally located in Pergamum? No, I, I don't know. Oh, I mean, I don't. You, I, I, you think he was when Revelation was written? Oh, absolutely. That's oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I, I would be but close you can't, to what but Tyler's you can't. You can't. At. I mean, there's no. There's no. Uh, well, anyways, yeah. Go ahead. So. Well, I mean that that answers my question because I thought because I would take that as you know like a symbol of authority, but and my question was going to be how can Satan have authority when all the when all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus at this point, but since you don't take that, he's still the God of this world. Very clear. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, Robert, let me ask you this then. Uh, yeah. Do you think that amillennialism, premillennialism, postmillennialism, is this an argument? Are, 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 are these, can this argument be handled hermeneutically? Is, is this where we have to go for these positions to actually start gaining traction with each other and actually start figuring out some of these differences to the text, to the text, syntax, you know, everything that has to do with hermeneutics. Is that the problem for this debate or does it go deeper than that? It, it probably goes deeper than that. I mean, mm, there mm. are, there are excellent scholars. So, and, and you know, Luke isn't here to defend this, but I don't. I right. don't know any credentialed New Testament scholar who holds to postmillennialism. I just. I just don't know one. Uh, no one who teaches in a university. Nobody with a, a PhD from an accredited institution. It's just you know, it's just not a view that's um, that's held by scholars today. But but is in terms of different forms of amillennialism. So mine is just one kind of of amillennial interpretation. Right. But there, there, are, there are a couple others that I know of. And maybe there's there's more than that. Actually, I can I can think of three other views off the top of my head that would be broadly considered amillennial, uh, especially as it comes to how you interpret Revelation. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, and then there there are numerous different kinds of premillennialism as well. But but those views are held by you know the best scholars on the planet. Those two views and 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 so they're they they have their reasons. I mean, to me, obviously, when you read somebody, you can. You can tell when they're, um, you know, not not digging into the question because they, you know, don't see see the debate, you know, as uh, all that valuable. And uh, and there are some places where I I do think that premillennialism, um, when when it's read into it, and again, I went to a premillennial seminary. And I saw the professors do this in class. And I'm like, how can you read a thousand year gap into that <laughs> verse? Like, how can sure. you do that? It's just, it's just not there. Right. And so, so one, one professor I had, uh, Dan Wallace, who's, you know, the, the, the big name in Greek and textual right. criticism in evangelicalism. He said, yeah, you're right, Robert. He, he said this to me in class. He's like, you're right. The millennium isn't in Jesus. It isn't in Paul. It isn't in the prophets. They didn't, seem to know about the millennium but we're talking progressive revelation and when you get to the book of revelation one of the last books in the new testament then you get the millennium so so he he's you know he's willing to go that far and so he doesn't do crazy things with those those other texts that that i think are mind-boggling and so i i could respect that a little more although to me it's kind of like you know it, it creates issues about you know uh you know how we understand the way inspiration works and things like that but those are those are theological questions and and we all believe right. in progressive revelation anyways right sure so, 
Um, uh, so that, that's the way he would go. And George Ladd makes a similar move as well. Um, uh, he's a, an important premillennialist uh, scholar. He, he, he's dead now, but, but he's really important. So, you know, uh, with, with people who are willing to, to go that far, we can look in, in and have a lot of agreement when we read things like 1 Corinthians 15 or, or something like that and say, oh, yeah, you're right. You know, Jesus says, um, or, or, or Paul says that um, when Jesus returns, there's going to be a resurrection. And, and at that point, when the singular resurrection happens, the last enemy is destroyed, which is death, and we'll, we'll always be with the Lord. You know, right. the, to me, that, that's just the neatest amillennialist outline you could get right there is in, in, in 1 Corinthians 15. There's no, there's no room in there for a thousand years sandwiched between two resurrections, partial and two partial judgments. It's just, it's just not there. It, so, you know, that, uh, that's we, we can, based we on can, presuppositions. For yeah. Sure, well, where, where, where is the thousand year reign in between Christ's return and uh, the, the death of death? Where, where is that there? It's just, it's not there. You it's know, in so, Isaiah? No, it's not in Paul, I said. And it's oh, not in okay. Isaiah either. Isaiah yeah. does not talk about a thousand year reign of. Well, uh, he doesn't have to say Messiah. a thousand year because yeah, he, he says because your like example that. in your paper yeah. is does not hold because it's what talking example? about the the one where I brought up earlier where you have the Isaiah thirty five, mm-hmm. twenty five, and yeah. let's see. You're talking uh, about the the language about death in the um in the new creation. The lion the lion thing because you have oh yeah 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 Yeah. that's that's an example of of poetic license yeah well but but what you what you what you use it for in your paper it doesn't hold because it's talking about uh what what do you think i'm using it for in my paper okay i have it right here hold on yeah yeah just explain how you're understanding what what i'm doing when Mm -hmm. i use that example you know what I'd have to, where do I have it? Cause I have my phone. Yeah. I have my paper. So, let, so, so you don't have to go right back here. and read it. Let me just explain. Oh, I remember. No, I remember okay. you were saying uh-huh. the thing about how in one place there's a lion and in one mm-hmm. place there's not. And you're, you're trying to, with that, you're yeah. trying to. It, it doesn't just say there's not a lion. So, so, okay. So th- th- this is really important though. So there we go. Uh, in Isaiah. Oh, here it is. Here uh-huh. it is. Yeah. Okay. There's, so it says, uh, you say, um, your point is that in sixty-five twenty-five. No, so that isn't my point. That is an illustration Martin, that I use to make a different point. I'd have to go back into oh, yeah. your so yeah. Let, to, let me just, to your paper. Just let me explain the point then, real quick. So, uh, in in Isaiah sixty-five, it talks about in the new, in the new heavens and new earth that uh, someone will be considered young if they die at a hundred years old, right? Right. And so that is taken by both. I've seen both premillennialists and postmillennialists do that to say, ah, see, there must be, uh, some intermediate state of glory that is somehow identified with the new creation, but is short of the, the consummated new creation where death can still happen. And so that gets brought into revelation chapter 20 by, by some interpreters. Right. And they say that that must be the reality that revelation 20 is talking about. Um, but what I what, what I make the point is is that, that that misses the fact that the prophets use poetic language to describe realities, and so okay. you you get that in sixty five twenty where it talks about uh, the young uh, dying at the age of a hundred. But then in another text about the new creation, if you go back to Isaiah twenty five, it says that that when this age happens, death will be swallowed up completely. Death will be done away with. And, and, and so how can those both be true, right? Well, they can both be true because, if because we of recognize, a time frame you don't because of a time yeah, frame yeah. Well, well, you don't I, have. I, right? I'm laying out my argument. Yeah. So right, what, right, what right. I'm saying is they can they can both be true. I, I think they're I think both texts are depicting uh, the reality of the of the new creation. 
And, and uh, you know, not to appeal to authorities, but I think that's the standard view among scholars who, who, who read Greek and Hebrew and, and publish on this stuff. But um, the, so, so what, what's going on here? Well, both of them are poetic ways of expressing the reality that what threatened humanity before will not be a threat when this time comes. So, um, and, and I use the illustration. Oh, that, that's where my counterpoint is. is yeah, that yeah. Right there? So, so I use the illustration that, that you're pointing out that Isaiah 65, 25, it talks about lions in the new creation eating straw. And uh, what is it in chapter 11? It talks about lions lying down with lambs and there being peace or whatever. And these are images of, of peace and safety and security. But then in Isaiah um, 35, 9, as you said, um, there it says there will be no lion or ravenous beast. Well, you can't have both, right? You can't have. But, yeah, but and, you can. And, well, okay. So you're saying that during the millennium, there's going to be no lions or ravenous beasts. That's 35, nine. And then they're going to come back in the new creation. No. in in, in Zion. So, so Zion, the lions okay. are going to go away and come back. That's Isaiah's point. No, I, I think the, 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 the lion and the, the lions, the lion and the lamb thing I think is real. Okay. Because mm -hmm. you have, uh, cause from my perspective, you have, and that's why I, I spent a, a, a good amount of time talking about the, there's still a locality like there was uh, an Eden because mm -hmm. maybe this needs to go deeper. My, my view is that what we're given all the way up to revelation chapter 22 is Eden is Eden restored and continued, not finished. See, that's that's the fundamental difference between our views. Uh, yeah, is that yeah? I think that there's I st I think there's still procreation. I think there's procreation at some point. God stops procreation, but you can't say that for sure. But um, I think at some point st God stops procreation. So we have we have uh, assuming there is procreation assuming people survive to go into the millennium uh we're, we're priests we're, we're we're doing what adam and eve were supposed to do until god says okay it's the way i want it to be or whatever you know we're we're still doing that and so part of the earth which so if you go to the zechariah like i was talking about earlier where you yeah. still have people which i don't agree i, I, I don't agree that you can because you, you didn't explain it. You just said, oh, well, in Zechariah, there's, uh, you know, symbolic language and prophetic. I use the word symbolic language. Oh, you, you didn't. You didn't. Prophet, I'm, I'm trying to say prophetic, yeah. you know, poetic language. I, I'm really careful when we talk about symbolism. I usually that, am. Yeah. Yeah, I, right. yeah. So that's that's. No, you're right. You're right. Yeah, and and yeah. yeah, no, you're right. And um, so which. Zechariah. Zechariah 14 does not, it's not all that. And we can't just say, mm -hmm. oh, well, that's just, I mean, you have to go to the specific lines and say, well, this, you know, which is, which is, 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 uh, is yet to be done. But anyways, so if we, if we do have like the Feast of Tabernacles, we're talking about where the people go up because mm -hmm. you were basically saying the warnings aren't real warnings. That's just to say, oh, well, it's not going to happen anymore which I, I disagree. And I don't think yeah. grammatically, I don't think uh, from hermeneutics, you can get that. But um, assuming that that is happening, we have this, 
locality language all the way through through Revelation 22. So let me go back to the to the to how this ties into what we originally talked about 65:25 and the lion thing. So I think that. Um, and then after this, Justin, I think we're going to start wrapping up. Yeah, yeah. and and so whether so, there is yeah. uh, the lion's attack or whatever, you know, that's one thing. But I still think there is uh, lions because it says the lion, you know, the lion and the lamb, uh, you know, lay down together, eat straw, whatever the uh, translation is. On the other parts, not in this local, this localized geographical holy city location, which is repeated in uh, Revelation 20. And so what you have with the differences with the verses you put with 65, 25, uh, 35, 9, and 25, 8, is you have the inner part, because notice in Revelation 22, it's, 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 it talks about uh, these types of people will never enter here. Mm -hmm. So when, when Isaiah exactly. is talking, it, right, when Isaiah is talking about uh, the lion won't devour and whatever, he's talking about the inner location, right? The inner holy city new jerusalem with the gates and then on the rest of the earth if the zechariah from interpretation i'm talking about where there's still people still can rebel uh you know the gog magog thing outside there you still have uh you know these different animals and things like that but i think the the, the point when I, and i don't think that you just that you distinguish which i did was in some, Isaiah is talking about this uh, inner location that's protected. And then in the uh, other verses, with the lion and the lamb, that's outside, basically outside the city, outside the camp of the saints, whatever you want to call it. Because we still have nations, if we still have nations going up to to Jerusalem where this, where Jesus is, where this, this, uh, you know, holy land. I'm trying to think of what what Heiser calls sacred, uh, sacred area. Then you know you have different things uh, happening outside of that. So I, I think Isaiah has that contrast in mind. Yeah. So, I, so this is my my big push. So there are lots of things exegetically in Isaiah that I would you know want to, and that would require walking line by line and and you right. know you know working through a lot of a lot of detail. So, um, but, the, and this is something that would have been good, you know, I, I did make the point in the show, but when we look at where John's allusions are to Isaiah 65, Isaiah 25, um, um, uh, Zechariah 14, they are in Revelation 21 and 22. So if, if, you, if you walk through that text and you, you can see numerous runs, of, you know, again, it talks about nothing unclean ever coming in. That's right out of Zechariah 14. It talks about the nations walking by its light, you know, you know, all, yep. all this stuff. Yep. This is all from Zechariah 14. And John is reading that as he, again, he, he paints with scripture. He is, he is, he's using that color, that Zechariah 14 color, uh, all throughout 21 and 22 and not once in chapter 20. He, he, he just, he, he doesn't have that there. And, and so this is, this is why, um, this is probably the biggest thing that caused me to switch from premillennialism to amillennialism is paying really careful attention to way revelation uses those old Testament 
um, images of the new creation. And they're many and they're varied. Like if you were to just, and it's interesting too, this is another, if you were to just lay out Zechariah 14 uh, and its cosmic language next to the, the language that you get in Isaiah, they're, they're irreconcilable unless they're different images to ex express the same reality. And John takes both of those together, brings in uh, Ezekiel 40 to 48, and, and, and also, you, you talked about the restoration of Eden. Where is that imagery in Revelation? It's in Revelation chapter 22, where you have right. the river of life and, and the, the tree uh, yielding its fruit and, and um, uh, uh, healing the nations, right? So there, there you still have the nations there, Zechariah 14, mm -hmm. uh, but they're, they're in the new creation, not in the millennium. They're in the new creation. And so th this is where this this imagery uh yeah i don't I, right but yeah. but our disagreement with that is because i don't think the the uh oh i had one more point yeah it's completed yeah but it's but completed it, at that point yeah and here, here's another thing if you if you look at the imagery for revelation 20 what old testament passage is that from all of revelation 20 is is basically um a prophetic interpretation and application of daniel chapter 7 very fascinating you should you should check that out but uh that's the last point that i'll that i'll uh make and i i, I gotta get going too so yeah okay. absolutely yeah. i'm definitely gonna check out daniel 7 after that comment robert yeah and yeah maybe yeah. I know exactly what you're talking and about get, Thrones if you and get yes yeah. if you get uh gk beale his commentary mm -hmm. deals with a lot of this but he's also got so he's got two commentaries one more popular that he co-authored with someone and one that's a big thick that just everything you want to know about the book of revelation but then he also has a, a scholarly monograph called john's use of the old testament in revelation and he spells okay. this out in painstaking detail and um anyways uh that that's the place to and heiser's going through stuff. it right now but he hasn't got yeah that yeah and 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 heiser heiser holds to a variety of amillennialism it's different from mine so he he he, he thinks the millennium is a kind of a proleptic picture of the new creation which right. so which is interesting. Um, so in that sense, he's almost like both amillennial and premillennial, right? Because if he sees the millennium as a depiction of the new creation, then clearly Jesus returns before that. But he's not sure. premillennial in the sense that Justin is, because he doesn't see the millennium as an intermediate reign prior to the new creation. So it, it, it's it's pretty fascinating. But that that's a popular view among uh, amillennial scholars. So I'm actually hoping to get Heiser on uh, the complete series Dude, when, guide. When and, you said aliens cool. and uh, angels he's the uh -huh. guy to bring on i know like, i yeah, know yeah, yeah. i i'm actually was in uh contact like email contact with him a while back and then just things yeah. got so hectic i would love yeah. to get him on but it's too get, soon like it, he's like his it, schedule is insane <laughs> yeah if you can get him on get him on like he's a real expert you know so uh i mean on Absolutely. that topic he's super interesting but anything him angels demons like mm -hmm. uh the guy is the, the man on that stuff so his I wanted, his book unseen realm is Yep. is one of those that I think everybody who's interested in the Bible needs to lock themselves in a closet and don't come out until they're, they're finished reading it. It's Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And and the cool thing about that is too on Audible, like I'm a big audiobooks fan and okay. he's got everything yeah. on Audible. So oh, Unseen Realm, Angels and Demons yep, yep, and even yep. so everything on there. So there guys, I want to thank you yeah. all so much. Uh Justin yeah. Simpton, Robert Wiesner. Uh we had Luke Huck thank on you. a while ago. Um thank you guys so much. We'll do part two um if you guys are down for it, hopefully soon. Um, yeah. And we'll get into yep. some of this more, you know, I, I, it does seem to me like just the, the summary of the whole discussion, it seems like we're going to have to get into some of these Old Testament texts yeah. and actually yeah, see the parallels, you know, the whole with, Bible. 
Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, the Bible is eschatology that, I mean, you know, absolutely. And, and so, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it would be hard to do all that. Maybe we would have to plan ahead what texts we're going to talk about. if we Exactly. To, to do that. So, yeah. Very, very, very good discussion, guys. Again, this is just the introduction. I would love to have all three of you guys back for a part two. If your, um, you know, if your schedules uh, would would align with that, that would be amazing. Again, Robert, Justin, Luke, thank you all so much. I really appreciate it. This has been the Complete Center's Guide, and we will see you guys back next week with a very, very interesting discussion about angels and aliens. Hmm, Check it out next week on the Complete Center's Guide. I'm Tyler Fowler. I've been your host. God bless. Good night, and we'll see you next time.